This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. That's right, everyone. This is five on three, Monday, November twenty seventh. I hope everyone had a really good Thanksgiving. We're we're back from break, kind of taking the home stretch now. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Costantini. I'm joined by Jackson Heil and Nick Lehman. We got Rafalia in the back, as well as Jimmy Sullivan producing today, doing a great job. So we got a lot to get to with some a really good past week for for the locals this this time around. Some some really good resurgence and. You know where we're going to start, of course, with this show. Those New Jersey Devils, we were we were worried about them last week, but I don't I don't think that there was a reason to worry. They they went 3-0-1, they picked up a point in the overtime loss to Boston, but then they had those two other wins in regulation and they look really good all of a sudden again. Taylor Hall's playing like a man possessed. Out of nowhere, Brian Gibbons is still playing like a top-line forward. Will Butcher, rookie defenseman, second most points on the team. What what are you guys seeing from this team? We're gonna go to Jackson first. You know, you mentioned Gibbons. That's actually like really starting to bother me. How he has eleven <laughs> goals and yeah, he's kind of annoying, right? First line as a now. Ranger fan, I mean, it's really starting to make me mad. But I'm actually starting to turn a little bit on the Devils and kind of establishing them as maybe that PDO like this team is just gonna be that darling for this this year, and maybe they'll ride it for the entire season and. Listen, I don't think they're the top team in the Metro by any means. I still think that's either going to be a tie between, well, or being resulting in Columbus or, say, the Islanders or the Rangers, or even if Washington and Pittsburgh come back up. But I'm starting to be a little impressed with the Devils. Obviously, the tough loss to New Jersey, I mean, to Toronto, rather. We mentioned the last, we were talking about that last week where they struggled. But you mentioned this week, I mean, the win over Vancouver was a bit of a struggle for a moment, but... They really persevered in that one, and I was impressed. The win over Detroit was really awesome. With I believe was that was that when Boyle scored the winner, or am I uh, that was no that, that was that was Vancouver. Yeah. Okay, all right, sorry. So I was, and I that was in the hockey fights cancer night, which yep. was just a yep. fantastic that, story. Uh, that was incredible. And he was named first star. But uh, that that was just really an incredible moment. And as a Rangers fan, I love Boyle. So um, that was that was really one of the highlights of the week for me. I mean, the Devils overall have been just fantastic. I mean, they got seven out of a possible eight. Which uh, is great. Two on the road. Two overtime wins on the road, both 4-3. Um, I was there for that agonizing 11-round shootout. Uh, that was that was torture to sit through, but, you know, they got a point out of it. And they're, they're in a stretch where they have five games in eight days. They'll get three days off. But, I mean, considering how many games they have this week and how high of a level they're playing at, they're doing really well. Yeah, and you were talking about that upcoming schedule. I'm just going to pull it up real quick here. I I know we say this like every week about the Devils, but this is this is kind of a week where they just need to keep things going. They play at home against Florida, which should be a relatively easy game for them. And then they have at Colorado, at Arizona, another another e- couple easy game stretch there, even though Colorado is showing some signs of life after that Matthew Shane trade. Nathan McKinnon kind of looks like he's back he's to fire. where he should be. He yes. is on fire. And then it comes to a head, really. A home-and-home home with Columbus and then at the New York Rangers. So they have... They need to win the games coming up because the games after that are not gimmies by any means. Yeah, you got like you said, you have to take care of business. Florida is not very good. You have them at home; that should be a win. Colorado, you mentioned that's a it's a tough game because it is on the end of it's the first end of a back to back with Arizona, who's not good at all. But 
Either way, anytime you go out west, it's a difficult trip for them. So they should at least be able to take two of those three games, and Arizona is a must-win. But you mentioned the stretch is tough coming up. You mentioned the Columbus, the two Columbus games and the Rangers. Then the following week, you have the Kings at Montreal, which is always a tough place to play, no matter how the Canadians are playing. Home against Dallas, home against Anaheim, and then home against the Rangers, followed by Chicago. So it is a very t- tough stretch of games for them, but I think we could really find out a lot in the next just this next week, seeing if they can take care of business because good teams do take care of business and beat the bad teams. So that's a game. Those are games that they should win, and that's that will really tell me a lot about this Devils team. Well, this week were all games they should have won and did for the most part. And Florida is going to be another one that it's just they should have this the the two road games they should have. But I think like it it's really I guess what I'm trying to say is the core of this team is you know. Adam Henrique like playing at a much better play this week than he was even last week. You know, Taylor Hall, as we've already mentioned, playing at an insane rate. Brian Gibbons now on the first line. I mean, that that as surprising as that is of a call on uh John Hines's part, you know. He's still and to give producing. Hines credit too. He he's adju- oh, yeah. he's adjusting very well and putting the hot hand where he needs to be. And Ray Shiro did a fantastic job of building up this team this year from from being one of the worst teams in hockey last year to possibly one of the best teams in hockey this year, at least in the in the Eastern Conference and in the Metro. And you're looking at the guys that are contributing that are supposed to be, like a Nico Heeshear, who is second on the team in points. You have Will Butcher, like I mentioned. And this team's only set to get better with Marcus Johansson recently returning to practice. I know he's, he's not going to play uh, tonight against Florida, but I was reading that he's going to travel with the team on that kind of West Coast road trip. So, like we said, the Devils have games coming up that they need to win to stay on top of the Metro because Columbus is right behind them and they are not going to let up. And another team right behind them are those New York Islanders who just continue to play at a torrent pace. I mean, another another great week, three wins, no losses, and their they're top six forwards right now, all almost all over f- uh, 20 points each. So... The offense is really there, and I think what's going to be the real scary part about this team is once the goaltending situation is figured out, which it might be because Halak looks like he's kind of coming back to earth and playing like he should be. So what do we see out of the Islanders so far? Uh, well, you said it. Their front six forwards are incredible. I mean, Matthew Barzell is just continuing. He's ridiculous. I, incredible pickup for the Islanders. Uh 23 points with 17 assists and six goals. It's just great. It's it's fun to watch him play. Uh, and the Islanders are becoming a team to be fun to watch play. I mean, they got two wins against the Flyers, which, again, I feel like Philadelphia is always one of those places where it's like it's kind of a tough tough win trying to go in there and beat them. But And, and they were down 4-2 in the third period in that game, making the win all that more impressive. And then... You look on Wednesday night when they won. In yeah, overtime. it was back-to-back overtime wins, right? Yep. Yeah, I right. mean, the goal that they scored in overtime when Tavares with Couturier along the board just dragged it by him and then found Bailey wide open, who, not to mention him, he's got 28 Fantastic points. He's been goal. ridiculous. He's leading the team in points, which yeah. I don't think you would hear. I mean, he only has five goals, but playing on a line with John Tavares, who who needs to score goals, it, he can score exactly, everything for exactly. you. Exactly, right. exactly. And Anders Lee has quietly been sensational as well. He's playing at like a point-per-game pace, so... 
a lot of things that you like with the Islanders. And one guy I want to mention is Nick Letty because he's arguably probably the quietest star defenseman in this league, in my opinion. I mean, he had 46 points last year. He's got 20 points right now early in the season. And he's great defensively. He can kill penalties. He can help you on the power play. He's a guy that quietly can give you 25, 20 to 25 minutes a night and dominate for you. So that that's something that has been very noticeable for me along him alongside Johnny Boychuk. And I mentioned Halak earlier. He's brought his goals against average below three. So do you see that this still being a goaltending competition where they're gonna kind of going to split time between Halak and Thomas Grice? Or has Halak kind of shown that he deserves the lion's share of time in net? Well, I don't think... I'm not necessarily ready to com- commit to Halak as the full-time goaltender because... You mentioned his goals against is under three, save percentages and all that high, and he still hasn't been all that impressive. The game against Ottawa, he was very good against, so I'll give him credit there. But I'm waiting for one of these goaltenders just to get really hot, and that's when they're going to ride, and that's what Doug, Doug Waite said. Really, he's, he's going to wait till one of these goaltenders really gets into his stride, and then they're going to ride him, essentially, which is almost a dangerous way to go because when you do ride the hot hand, he's eventually going to kind of freeze out, and then... You're going to put, put say, say Halak's the guy who's hot, who's getting basically a stretch where he's going to play 15 games, 15 out of 20 games. Then Grice is going to be a little cold, too, so he's not going to have really time to adjust and respond. And that could be a problem come towards the end of the season where you're looking for a goalie who's going to start in the playoffs. So that's something that concerns me going forward. But overall, you have to be happy with what the Islanders have done. Definitely. I mean, I think this week Yaroslav Halak took a step forward ahead of Thomas Grice for sure. Uh, but I, I think it is dangerous for uh, Doug Waite to be playing this game of, you know, like wait for the hot hand because then eventually you're going to have, a, as you, you basically hit the nail on the head with a cold goalie and, you know, you put try and put him back in that, then he's struggling and then you have two goalies struggling again. But I think that's the problem when you go into the season with this like two goalie setup where not many teams have this setup where it's you know two goalies sharing time and I think this is why because this is the problem you run into yeah so like I mentioned they're third in the metro right now 30 points two behind the devils and another point another team in those New York Rangers are kind of right on the heels of both of them they have 28 points and it, they actually find themselves in the last wild card spot in the Eastern Conference because the Atlantic isn't very good at all. Um, no, no, that, not that at is all. for sure. I mean, they're very top heavy. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's Tampa Bay, Other Toronto, Tampa, and then yeah. Prey. Right. Exactly. Essentially. Yeah. So. so they're looking better. I know we talked about it last week. They were on the upswing. They continued that this week. I think they have something like an eight eight game winning streak at home. Over the yep. over their stretch, so they're looking really good. I mean, they had good overtime wins, and Hank looks really good. Henrik Lundqvist didn't have the best start to the season, but he has really turned it around, which I know Rangers fans love to see because I know going into the season, people were like, "Oh, is this going to be his last year? He looks old. He doesn't look like he should." But he's really proved his doubters wrong so far. But the one thing that I've noticed on this team is that. They aren't really scoring a lot, and a lot of guys aren't putting up numbers. So I guess the question I want to pose to the both of you is, who on offense really needs to step up for the Rangers? Well, I'll start with Kevin Hayes, because 
I think Hayes has actually been phenomenal this year. He's kind of been that two center that the Rangers have needed for since Derek Stepan left and Zibanejad took the role as the top center. But he's been a guy that's kind of just been there to eat defensive zone starts and then create plays on the other end with Rick Nash, who's also been great alongside him and also a guy who I think has gotten going lately but needs to score a little more. But if there's one guy I really want to look at, it's JT Miller because, listen, he's a big point guy, he's a big point guy but he needs to shoot the puck more. I mean, he's got a laser of a wrist shot. And he's got a great snapshot as well, but he doesn't essentially use it all that much. He's more of a guy who looks to create plays off the rush and not really shoot the puck all that much. Yeah, I mean, he only has 33 shots on goal this year. Yeah, and and that's something that needs to increase. I mean, that's been a problem for him in the past. I mean, you look at last year, he had 20 goals, but he shot at a pretty high shooting percentage, and he didn't shoot the puck all that much. And he's kind of been going down in terms of his his, uh, his shooting numbers since his rookie year. So that's something I need that I would look for. Maybe if Vigneault can tell him just, hey, let it go a little more. That That's something that could help us a lot, or the Rangers a lot, I should say. I'm going to go with Jimmy VC Now, I know he had a good game uh, last game against Vancouver, but I think they need more of that because last year he was more involved in the play. He was more um, in in the offense. I, I, I feel that I, I think – I know he's young, and I know he needs time to develop, but I think – because of the big role he played last year, I think, in the Rangers' offense, I would want to see more out of him. I'll just, like, slightly disagree with you here because I think that's more of a usage problem for VC because okay. they've been putting him on the fourth line a lot. And yesterday, they started him with David Darnay and Paul Carey. Who, they need they need to do a better job with yeah, him. Exactly. Yeah. And, listen, I, I think sometimes he has deserved to go down to the fourth line. There were times last year where he was arguably the worst forward on the ice for them. And Vigneault did adjust. He did put him on the fourth line, but... I think if you want him to kind of spring back to where he is, I think you drop Foss back to the fourth line. Listen, I love Jesper Foss, and he's a great player, but he's a guy who's made for the fourth line. You put VC with Nash, who they were great together against Montreal and against Ottawa in the playoffs, and you put him alongside Kevin Hayes as well. That could be a line that could really do some damage. And We saw yesterday in the third period where they did move VC up to the third line. They were double-shifting him with Nash and, and Hayes, and they got they put a goal together. So that's something I look for Vino to do more in the future. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Yeah, and and I'm going to throw my two cents in here and say that Rick Nash needs to do a better job. I know he's not that that top line forward anymore, but they have him on that second line now, and he needs to be the leader of that second line. I mean, he only has 7 goals this year, only 13 points total. So I personally feel like he needs to do a much better job and be the leader that this team needs on offense because right now they're kind of in the hands of some young guys like Amika Zibanejad, like a Pavel Buchnevich, and they just need someone to show them the ropes and how to and how to get to the net, put the puck in the back of the net, and just essentially score more. So, I, and I guess a question that I have to pose here is, if this team really thinks that they can make the playoffs and can make a run at the Cup, Will they be in the market for a forward come trade deadline time? I think they absolutely should be because you mentioned they have had problems scoring at even strength. The power play isn't an issue. They've figured that out since last year. But they could really use whether it's whether you want to go for a winger and move, keep JT Miller at center or you want to get a two or three center that can help score some goals for you and then move Miller back to the wing. They need someone who can produce offensively. And honestly, I don't really see all that many guys out there who are going to be available to do that. The one guy I really liked was Terrace from Ottawa that I thought they should have been in on, but clearly the price was too high. And and I'll give 
Gorton credit. He's not going to give the future away for one year of Kyle Turris, and I understand that. But right now, there isn't that many guys that they can necessarily go after. I think that'll open up more towards the deadline, but definitely they will be in the market for a forward. Yeah, I think it's definitely an option for the Rangers. Uh, I think they should be focusing on, you know, right now, like trying to get the players that they have, because I feel like this roster is more than capable of holding their own offensively. Like, I, I think they should be focusing more on, like, getting their own skaters to, you know, like, start shooting the, shooting the puck more and, you know, like, finding the back in the net. But if the opportunity was given to them to try and get another score, I, I think they should take it. And just to add in on here, they actually – the problem for them has really been defensively, actually, because they're allowing a ton of high-danger chances. They actually lead the league in high-danger chances this year, but – the problem defensively is who are you going to add? I mean, the only name I've seen thrown around really that could potentially get moved is Oliver Ekman Larson, which actually, just to kind of go a little off topic here, Larry Brooks wrote an article saying that the Islanders should go all in and go after Ekman Larson, which I found really interesting because he's a guy that could really shore up them defensively and help them on the power play and almost give Nick Letty kind of a nuisance to he doesn't have to play 25 minutes a night. So that's something that would interest me. But overall, I don't think the Rangers would look to add a defenseman just because they have the personnel. It's more about fixing the structure and kind of adjusting to Lindy Ruff's system. So looking forward for the Rangers, I mean, they, they just need to keep up the pace because there's there's not a lot of wiggle room for them right now if they want to stay in the hunt, like I said, during that last wild card spot with Pittsburgh right behind them. Now we're going to look around around the league some more and look at some guys who are breaking out this year, the guys that aren't weren't on the radar last year and have just forced their way into a national conversation this year. So we're going to start with Nick here. And uh, who do you see as who broke out so far this year? I mean, honestly, there are a ton of people who broke out this year. I mean, I could pick uh, quite a few. Um, I, I think I'll just go with probably the person who's leading the call to right now, Clayton Keller. I mean, he is he's for a team that is not doing much, although they did get what? At least three wins this week, right? They had three yeah, they, they, they like tripled their win yeah. win total recently in in one week. So, um, but I think he's a big part of that. And you know, if it weren't for him, they would literally be pretty much nothing. But uh, for the Coyotes, but Clayton Keller is more than impressed many of us because I mean he, he was what the fourth round, sixth round. I mean not not round, uh, fourth fourth overall. overall. Yeah, with Arizona, right? And he wasn't even close to being talked about like in the top like one or two it was Nolan Patrick and Nico Heischer well he was he Patrick and Heischer were this year's draft uh Keller was 2016 and just to kind of still go not yeah. even remarkably no, close yeah. and no, top one, there. no one was talk, yeah. no one was talking about him because the top two were Austin Matthews and Patrick Line. right so as it should have been yeah and, and absolutely but that was that allowed Keller to kind of fly under the radar so to speak and he definitely has developed into stars quick he's not that big necessarily but he uses his body well and he's got a heck of a wrist shot so do you think do you think he can keep up what he's doing right now or will he hit that rookie wall that everyone eventually does um honestly for his team I don't think it necessarily matters but uh I I think eventually he'll slow down but he will be uh Arizona's main guy for now I mean a lot of times you don't say that with rookies I mean maybe you could say it like last year with Austin Matthews or, you know, Connor McDavid. But, like, 
a lot of times you don't see like the rookie as being your main guy. Yeah. The, that, yeah. Sorry, just to interject here. The thing with him is he's not going to be he's not on a team that's winning games as we mentioned. Arizona's 15 points right now in 20 something games. So they they're definitely struggling and I'm just going to mention my guy quickly, Andre Vasilevsky with Tampa mm-hmm. Bay. That's he's, a good call. Yeah. He's he's the guy that probably should be possibly getting the most recognition because he's been a Vesna candidate since the start of this year. I think he's the leader right now. Abs- yeah, him, him or so. Corey Crawford are certainly up there, but he's definitely being overshadowed by Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, as well as Vladimir Nvestikov, who's been yeah. great for them. But he's the guy that's keeping this team together. He leads the league and wins, whether that means all that much is up for discussion, but shows that he's definitely produ- producing, and he's been sensational this year. That's my guy to look up. Also, just sorry to add in this in, Jaden Schwartz is another ah, guy. You stole, so, you stole uh, one from me. Hey, perfect perfect uh, segue. It's, it's okay because I, I was going to cheat a little bit and take two guys, um, both from St. Louis and both currently outscoring Vladimir Tarasenko. You mentioned him, Jaden Schwar- Schwartz. He was hurt for a lot last year, so people kind of forgot about him and how good he was. But he's looking great this year. He has 32 points, 13 goals on that top line with Tarasenko. And then the second guy I'm going to mention is Braden Shen. Yep. He was yeah, yeah. he was kind of an afterthought in Philadelphia. I mean, he was basically a salary dump into St. Louis, who did kind of pay a hefty price. He gave up a first-round pick last year and a conditional first-round pick this year. And he was kind of known as a guy who could only play on the power play. He wasn't good on 5-on-5. Five five. And he's really turned that perception of him around this year. He only has... I think, eight points out of his total of 30 on the power play this year. So he's showing that he can play five-on-five. And just to add on to this, that's probably been the best line in hockey this year. Maybe you could argue Stamkos, Kucherov, Nemestikov. But him, Tarasenko, and Schwartz have been sensational. And my one concern with Schwartz is he's shooting 26.5%. So, yes, he's going to decline, but he's that guy that keeps St. Louis together. He's the guy that makes that motor run for them. And... He's actually my MVP right now, so I've been very impressed with him. I've been very impressed with St. Louis as a whole, even after losing Kevin Shattenkirk last year. So They haven't been... missed a beat. Alex Petrangelo has stepped in and Absolutely. making everyone forget Shattenkirk even he, played there. He's a guy yep. that's been kind of overlooked his entire career, in my opinion, and he, he's awesome. I mean, you could argue he's a... He's a Norris guy. Yeah, he could be right a Norris now. guy right now. So that that's a team that is really looking dangerous in the Western Conference. So, so our last segment here, um, the NHL celebrated its birthday yesterday. A hundred years of hockey in Happy in this 100. league. Happy one hundredth. So I thought that this was a good time to kind of reflect a little bit. And I know we're all kind of young here, so we don't have the entire history of hockey to look back on. But in our in our short time of of being hockey fans, let's talk about some of our favorite moments, say, favorite memories that we have as hockey fans. All right, I, I guess I'll start. Um, so I, I I've had a, I've had a few because I mean the Rangers I've been luck, fortunate enough to kind of see a golden era of Rangers hockey and they've been to the playoffs a ton. But um, there's two moments that really stick out for me with New York. Obviously, step on Game Seven versus Washington when they come back from three one in the Eastern Conference semis and he sends them to the conference finals against Tampa. That was a moment that really stood out to me. But also. I was at Game 6 in 2014 against Montreal in the conference finals when Don Moore scored to put him up, and then they shut out the Canadians in Game 7 to go to the Stanley Cup final. That like, that was a really surreal moment for me, and that 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 is probably my best moment by far, in my opinion. Uh, I guess I'll go next. I would be a homer and say uh, 
the 2012 uh, conference final against your beloved Rangers, Jackson, uh, game six, Henrique. But I'll go a little different. Um, it was the last day of the regular season, uh, 2014-15, and I think both the Maple Leafs and the Devils were out of it by that point. And no, actually, no, it was 15-16. Um, I got I my sister gave me tickets for like club seats for the last day of the regular season. And in the suite next to me was Lou Lamorello and uh, Brendan Shanahan, That's the awesome. entire Toronto front office. And so you guys are important in Devils history. Yes, very, very true. And they actually honored them that night because it was, I think, the first time they were there after that whole, you know, Lou leaving for Toronto. But I got to talk with them and take pictures with them. It was really, really neat to listen to them talk about like what they were like building up and everything they were great guys and then a few months later you know they went and drafted Austin Matthews and the rest is history and made the playoffs and you know Lou really did play a huge part in building up the Devils from when they were you know like when Gretzky called them like a Mickey Mouse team that, that's an understatement yep and, yeah I think I think he, Lou Morello. He, he built he, he and the entire Toronto front office rebuilt that that Maple Leafs team to be respectable again I think Lula Morello is possibly one of the most influential people in hockey in the past two, three decades just Certainly. because of what he's done in two different cities. I mean, you mentioned it. He ba- he turned the Devils around. He brought a no-nonsense policy to that team and made them what they were. He won three Stanley Cups. He gave us some of the best players to ever grace the ice, like Martin Brodeur and Patrick Eliash, that he was instrumental in building and creating, basically. And now you see what he's doing in Toronto and basically creating a new golden era of Canadian hockey for them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say my, my favorite memory here, um, you alluded to it earlier, and right. I don't think that, as a Devils fan, I have ever been more ecstatic about a game than Game 6 in 2012 against the New York Rangers. When when Doc Emmerich said those famous three words, Henrik, it's over, and you just see the stadium and ev- all the fans just going crazy. I still get goosebumps thinking about it today and watching the video and the replay of everything. And I think that moment itself is wonderful, but I think that the story behind it and things that it kind of erased matter more now. I mean, you think about it. It was Martin Brodeur's last run at a Stanley Cup, and which he played phenomenally in. I mean, there's that lasting image of him using his skate to kick out a puck, doing a scorpion kick almost. And that, like I said, that was his last run at the Cup. And then even more so, just ending that that reign of Ranger playoff dominance over them. I mean, everyone was talking about Matteau, Matteau that year when uh, Messier guaranteed them that they would win, and they ended up doing that. And it kind of just gave Devils fans something new to think about, really. And I'm going to cheat a little bit here and do it, uh, pick another moment here. Um, and it's not in the NHL, it's more Olympic hockey. And I'm going to go back to when Zach Parise scored a last-minute, final-seconds goal to force overtime in the gold medal game against Canada and unfortunately, the United States would go on to lose that game in overtime, and Sidney Crosby scored a fantastic goal to give Canada that gold medal. I just thought that was a really, really good game. It was a fantastic game, one of the best games I've ever seen live. And it did a lot for Olympic hockey. It's a shame that we don't get to see that anymore, or for right now, because hopefully the league will see 
how much the fans want to see NHL players in the Olympics, and hopefully they'll end up going back after this cycle. But we'll just have to wait and see on that one. And I know I want to see it. I'm sure you guys do. Certainly. And um, I think that's all the time we have for today. So great show. I want to thank everyone for being on. Jackson Heil, Nick Lehman, great job. Jamie Sullivan, fantastic, as always, in the booth. And I was your host, Matt Costantini, and we'll talk all next week.